There's a lot of controversy and things happening in the market with is inflation, high interest rates, and a lot of scams that have come out. Personally, I think it's a great time to invest right now. In multifamily, we see prices down 15 to 35%. I like buying low and I don't feel like we're, we're catching a falling knife at this point. I did spend 12 years on Wall Street and sort of one of the major things that I learned was everything's a cycle. You're either in a down cycle or in an up cycle. You got to learn from your past and being overly analytical, overly reliant on any one tool or strategy is also not good and something I've had to loosen up a little bit with. Hey there, and welcome to another episode. My name is Pascal Wagner, the host of the Grow Your Cashflow podcast. If you're new here, we help credit investors grow and diversify their monthly cash flow through low risk private placements. To be clear, we're not financial advisors providing you advice on your specific financial situation, but our email list, our social content, and this podcast are all designed to help you learn how to find and vet passive income investment opportunities. So that someday when you're looking to grow your cash flow, that you'll consider working with us. And even if you never invest with us here, at the very least, we wanna help accelerate your ability to gain financial freedom. So with that, let's dive in. Today on the show, I have Craig Berger. Welcome, Craig. Hey, Pascal, thanks for having me. Yeah, man, I'm uh, I'm excited to have you here. And, and I'm just gonna take it and dive right in here. So. There's a lot of controversy and things happening in the market with, you know, is inflation going to stay? You know, are high interest rates going to stay? There's, you know, been a lot of scams that have come out uh, that have been, you know, at least front page news in the in the private placement world. You know, we saw Matt Onofrio uh, plead guilty to thirty five million dollars in uh, in bank fraud uh, with the private placements he was involved with. And and there's just like general uncertainties happening in the market. Uh, and, you know, I wanted to highlight you here on the show because you have a, a breadth of experience from, uh, you know, being on Wall Street and now diving into uh, real estate investments. Not now, but you've, you've been here for a while with your firm, Avid Realty Partners. Uh, can you kind of give us an overview of how maybe economic indicators such as the Federal Reserve interest rate policies are affecting traditional investments like stocks and bonds and maybe how they affect private placements. Awesome. Well, again, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Um, wow, that was a big question. Uh, how are, how are you know, what's going on in the economy? Where are rates? Um, personally, I think it's a great time to invest right now. In multifamily, we see prices down 15 to 35%. I'd say the average price reduction is 25%. I like buying low. Buying low is, is never comfortable. It's never pleasant, but this, this is what it feels like. And, um, you know, we're in, in multifamily and in real estate, we're fortunate to have replacement costs as sort of the guiding light or the great rudder. Um, so I see replacement costs continuing to go higher, payroll being the, the primary um, driver of cost increases from here. People want to get paid for their work. They want to get paid well, well enough to live. Um, obviously, materials will continue to get more expensive over time. 
I think in the near term, things like lumber and cement have normalized in price after COVID. But look, when prices are down, that's when you have to make hay. Um, could prices fall more in 2024? Of course they could. There's a lot of um, bridge debt that was put onto multifamily properties at high leverage points and in 2021. And those, those uh, uh, bridge loans are coming due. Their three-year term is up. And so there will be, there is, and will be more distress coming. Um, but, you know, will investors get off the sidelines and push prices up or um, will they stay on the sidelines and prices will fall more? I don't know, but most of the price decline has happened. So I like buying low and I don't feel like we're, we're catching a falling knife at this point. Um, so, you know, I mean, I think it's a great time to buy if you can find the right opportunities. So I love this topic of buying when uh, everyone's fearful. And that is always the question of when is like, people love this idea of timing the market. Uh, and I think when, I don't know, I think there's uh, pros and cons to this uh, or differing viewpoints. Uh, I think when you see that you're at the top of the market and that, you know, it can't last forever. Uh, how do you decide that like now is the right, how do you get yourself mentally to get over that hurdle to buy when it's uncomfortable? And like, you know, like I'm imagining for all of the investors out there, you know, myself included, these are things that I wrestle with, you know, crypto is down. Now's a great time to buy crypto. Most people are like, you know, same thing with some of these commercial office buildings, you know, those values are coming down. I would argue maybe a great time to be investing. How do you get yourself to get over that line or how have you trained yourself to do that? Well, um, I did spend 12 years on Wall Street and sort of one of the major things that I learned was everything's a cycle. Um, you're either in a down cycle or in an up cycle. That's really it. There's very little steady state. Um, and, you know, we've measured things like peak to trough price compression in historical market cycles. Um, you know, how long does it take to go from peak to trough? Obviously, equities move a lot faster than real estate. Real estate plays out in, in slow motion. Um, but you know, when we see a 30% reduction in price, um, that means there's little risk to the downside and you should probably be, be, um, planting seeds for the future. Um, in real estate, it really comes down to the deal. If you have a great deal, um, then I'd say go for it, right? Uh, what makes a great deal? It's, it's price, price per pound, location, upside opportunity, you know, how much risk is there and, and, and so on, right? Age of the asset, demographics, all of those factor into how we view multifamily. But, um, if you find a great asset that you like or even a fair asset at a, at a great price, you know, I'd say go for it. Um, the other thing that sort of factors in for me is, is interest rates. Interest rates are high. Um, are they high by 1980 standards? No, they're, they're low by 1980 standards, but they're pretty much at the highest point they've been over the last 20 years. It's really only been about, uh, a year, a year and a half in 2005 and six where, um, interest rates were as high or higher, the higher than they are now. When you go back and look over the last 20 to 22 years. Um, so, you know, I don't think interest rates are going to fall back to COVID levels, but I think they can fall back to levels where they sort of hung out from 2012 to 2019 or 2020. And, um, 
and you know that means that there there's uh, probably going to be lower rates ahead and and maybe um, you know exit cap cap rate normalization higher prices uh, and just lastly the the Fed futures market is embedding a fifty percent likelihood of at least one rate cut by the July Fed meeting so. Um, people are starting to look through the other side of this uh, uh, interest rate hike cycle. Okay. So uh, what I'd love to dig into is you have this Wall Street background. And so you can already just tell, you know, by the way that you speak, that you you have all of these different sources of income, uh, uh, all of these different sources of information and the way that you look at them and analyze them, which... You know, when I when I think about myself as an investor, I also have different backgrounds, and you know, I worked in venture capital, and so that influences a lot of how I think about investing. How 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 I would love to like get a little bit of background of your Wall Street background, and maybe understand like what are key things that you've taken from that to now work into your strategy and what you do with Avid Realty Partners? Amazing. Great question. Um, before I answer that, let me just say that over the last eight or 10 years of being a multifamily operator, I've really had to learn a whole new set of skills. And as an organization and as an owner, we are extremely focused on property level operations and execution. And it's it's somewhere that I've had to get a lot stronger at. We're not perfect. We're continuing to make strides. We've had to hire amazing people. And it's not a casual process to own and operate multifamily or any real estate. It's a very intensive um, uh, and, and effort, um, full of effort um, requirement to be really good at it. Nothing casual about it. So that said, I've had to learn a whole new set of skills to really operate these properties well. And I'm continuing to learn and continuing to grow from people smarter than me and more experienced. But on the, um, you know, on the Wall Street side, again, I do look at cycles. Um, I do look at a lot of um, data from the Fed or from Fred St. Louis, uh, which is a, 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 you know, federal government uh, database full of data. Right. We do track inflation, CPI and PPI, but we also look at individual line items. Um, what we're seeing on the inflation front is that, you know, uh, inflation has fallen from a peak of nine percent. I actually think it was more like 20 percent um, and that the government cooked the books. But from a official peak of nine percent to a current level of about three point eight or three point nine percent. So that is been cut in half or more. And um, inflation is probably back down on its way down to 3%. I don't think it's going to get to the Fed's 2%. I don't think we need to get to 2%. The Fed's target was, has always been 3% up until you know they created this inflation debacle um, over the last year or two. Uh, and so I, I think the inflation thing is we're, we're mostly through that, right? Where is inflation coming from? It's coming from... Um, housing rent, which is great for multifamily operators, by the way. It's coming from wages, which is important for your residents to be able to pay their rent bill. And, um, you know, it's really coming from oil because the United States is 
I think, made some bad decisions to disinvest from from oil production. But apart from that, I mean, we're in good we're in good shape. So, um, you know, I think we're going to ease a little bit. But I look at data. I look at cycles. I look at prices. I look at things like um, U.S. debt to GDP, like how much federal government debt is out there. It was 30 percent of GDP in 1980. And it's 130% of GDP today. So it's more than quadrupled in 43 years. And what that tells me is that Uncle Sam is not going to be able to pay 5% on federal funds rate or on treasuries for very long. And I think interest rates are going to fall and asset prices are going to rise. So that sort of reinforces my view that this is a great time to be buying hard assets that are that are an inflation hedge. So you didn't come out of the womb thinking about interest rates, right? Like you, you had, you went to college, uh, maybe, and and then at some point you you took one, like a, this financial analyst job. Uh, t- talk to us about what you did there, and like, is that where you started to learn about all of these concepts? And like, that's what I'm trying to get at. Um, yeah, so I was a sell side equities analyst for 12 years, and that means um, I covered one sector. I covered semiconductors or chip makers. Um, I had worked at Intel and then I went to go analyze the chip makers. So, um, you know, we would write research and we would underwrite companies and uh, forecast quarterly earnings going out, you know, about three years. And we were constantly forecasting earnings and updating our model and refreshing our model and doing analysis and, you know, saying, hey, how much does NVIDIA um, fall peak to trough in a normal historical cycle and how long does it take? And how much does it rise trough to peak and how long does that take? And um, semiconductors are a cyclical and they're one of the early leading sectors. So we can't look to other sectors to say, hey, what's going to happen? So we have to be on the bleeding edge, which means I need to know Fed speak. I need to know what the Fed's going to say. I need to know if we're in a weak economy, strong economy, is a recession coming or not? Because you know, the chip stocks that I analyzed were one of the first ones to react. So, you know, maybe if I covered something else that was not one of the leading sectors, I could just look at the chip guys and say, well, semiconductors did this. So 60 days later, my stocks are going to do that also. Um, But we didn't have that luxury in my sector. So we had to really look at Fed speak and understand quantitative easing versus quantitative tightening and look at, you know, federal debt to, to GDP and what does that mean for the world and look at some of these various, you know, these various factors that we look at. One of the things that I look at a lot right now is the Fed's balance sheet. It swelled from $800 billion in 2008 to roughly 3 or $4 trillion coming out of the great financial crisis. And then it hit 9 or $10 trillion coming out of COVID. And now the Fed has... Um, basically let bonds expire and roll off its balance sheet. Um, but it's only compressed like 7% from peak levels to today. So it's only shrunk its balance sheet 7%. So I don't see, um, you know, the dollar's purchasing power increasing a lot. Uh, and again, I want to own hard assets because I think the dollar and the federal government and the the federal reserve are just, you know, it's, it's kind of a race to the bottom. So the more hard assets we own, I think the better. Okay. I love diving into this. This is 
uh, where I love to geek out. So, okay, I want to understand. So you have this very uh, analyst mindset, right? Like you, you look at the data, let's try and find the trends. And so I want to understand how that impacts your uh, investing strategy. So you've obviously started this company, you raise run, uh, raise money from investors you, to, to invest in these different deals. And, and those deals are guided by this investment thesis and this probably hypothesis that you have in your head of how you think the world works and, and is going to continue to function. How can you, you know, when I talk to different, uh, let's call it different fund managers, uh, each of them have their own perspective of why they're investing in what they're investing in and, and, uh, and where. So like an example would be, uh, I know of operators that are like, I'm in Texas. I know my Texas market. I'm going to invest in Texas. And like, I didn't want to be in single family homes anymore. And I heard that multifamily homes, um, were like the next level up. And so, you know, I moved into multifamily and that's why it's my strategy. And to me, those are not like, you know, they might have great products, they might have good deals, but that's that's not really uh, maybe who I, I want to be investing with. I want to be kind of thinking at it at a higher level. Walk us through maybe like how you got to your investment thesis for your company and how that affects like where you invest and what you invest in. Amazing. Great question. Let me tell you something first. Um, no matter how much analysis we have and how much market insight we have, I have made mistakes. I'm not perfect. Anybody who's on the battlefield doing battle will make mistakes. I made mistakes. Um, you know, we sold three or four assets at peak prices, but we also bought one um, at what I'd consider close to the peak. Um, we made mistakes by not exiting two assets fast enough and then missing our window. Um, so we've made mistakes. Uh, despite all of the analysis, uh, I'm not perfect and we're still growing and learning and aiming to do better. And I think staying humble and, and having humility, um, especially during a downturn, um, is really is really important. Um, uh, so we're still learning and we're still trying to be better. Um, but we've done we've done well, and I think we'll continue to do well. But nobody out there is perfect, and I think it's important to recognize that and and to recognize my own mistakes and shortcomings. Um, I did dabble in hotels. I've traded some net lease assets, but I like apartments the most because um, housing is essential. Everybody needs to live somewhere. Forty or forty five percent of the country rents their home. Um, and because this is a market where rents almost never go down. If they do go down, it's for a very short amount of time. Um, uh, and so the volatility is relatively modest. And then also we have the best financing out there of any sector anywhere with Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, pseudo public private funding. Even in this crazy interest rate environment, we can still borrow at 6% right now, which is great. I can't wait to borrow at 4.5% again, but 6 is still not bad for being in the midst of a credit contraction and interest rate cycle. Um, and so these things provide some amount of stability and endless demand and um, uh, safety, right? So um, that's kind of why I picked multifamily. Um, and then within that, we really do cast a wide net, but I like investing in growth markets. 
So what are the best growth markets? I mean, it's it's Austin, it's Tampa, it's Phoenix, maybe it's Vegas, um, you know, Salt Lake City and Boise uh, are, are on the list. Raleigh, Durham, Charlotte are pretty good. Nashville's a great market. So we want to go where people are moving and and where job job growth is happening because that provides natural tailwinds. Um, we don't only buy in those markets. I'll buy in Cleveland or Cincinnati or wherever, but I really need a home run basis to buy in one of those sleepy, sleepy markets because I'm not going to get the population growth. I'm not going to get the rent growth. Um, I'm not going to get the exit cap rate uh, that I'd get in a Tampa market, for example. So yes, it just needs to be a fantastic home run basis. And what's a fantastic home run basis? Well, um, you know, we've developed some rules of thumb that allow us to very quickly sift through opportunities. Um, uh, so, you know, we look at a deal and in 60 seconds, I know whether the team should invest 45 or 60 minutes in underwriting the asset um, or whether we'll just move on to something else. But, um, you know, we like we like multifamily for the reasons I outlined. We really like growth markets. And and from there, it's just asset quality, demographics, location versus price and and and, you know, making the math work. So something I wanted to to highlight here for our audience, I'm starting to get into creating different playbooks. And and one of them is is coming up with your investment thesis before you have a buy box. And so I, I want to kind of follow the train of thought here. The, the investment thesis is, OK, we like multifamily because of these these reasons. And then now within multifamily, we have now designed our buy box. It needs growth. It needs, you know, X, Y, and Z. What is your, uh, like, I would love to better understand, you know, a lot of people talk about, oh, we invest in growth markets. We invest in growth markets. And it's like, what does that actually mean? And to each person or each fund operator, it can mean different things because, their process for picking markets is different. What is like you mentioned some things there, like uh, rent growth and population growth. What are what are maybe like the factors or even the SOP that you you standard operating procedure that you use to to go through? It's like okay, it needs to it needs to grow at least three percent a year for the last three years. If it's only the last year, maybe we don't do it. Like walk us through some of the nuances of 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 your strategy. I might be I might be too broad. Um, you know, we have some investor partners that only want to buy 2015 and newer product, and so we look at a lot of that. We have other guys that really only want 80s and 90s value add deal with a lot of rent upside, and we look at some of that. Um, you know, we'll look at no growth markets like Cleveland. We'll look at hyper growth markets like Austin. So, so we do cast a wide net. We do look at a lot of deals, and that. Um, is sort of 180 degrees from, you know, the guy that lives in Tampa that is only buying Tampa, knows everything about Tampa, knows every broker, knows every deal. And that guy's got a lot to offer also, by the way. Um, but he's not scouring the whole country or much of the country for the very best deals at any given time for those real diamond in the rough type of opportunities you know, we call our guys in Dallas and understand, hey, which deals blew up and didn't close? Um, you know, can I buy it 5% cheaper, 7% cheaper and get a real home run? And if I'm only focusing on Tampa, I might miss that Dallas opportunity. So, um, you know, we're not so 
hyper focused on that, but you know, the growth markets are the best ones that you keep hearing people talk about all the time. It's the ones where all the jobs and companies are moving to. It's Austin, it's Dallas, it's Tampa, it's Orlando, it's Charlotte and Raleigh, Durham and Phoenix and Vegas. Why are companies moving there? Because, um, because California and New York are extremely expensive and people are leaving those states, jobs and people. Um, uh, and it's, and you know, I want to invest in markets that, that have long-term staying power. I mean, I think Austin is basically the, the San, the new San Francisco, the San Francisco of the South. I think Austin is, is a phenomenal opportunity. It's dense. It's filled with very high income people and high income working class people that are working in the restaurants and retail and barber shops. And, you know, you go and get a haircut, a, a trim in Austin is 40 bucks. It's more than Manhattan. So, uh, I know that those, those folks are able to pay expensive rent. So I, I like that about Austin. Um, but you know, we try to really find the diamond in the rough and maybe we cast a wide net. But fortunately, I have two and a half full time underwriting analysts that all they're doing all day is sifting through deals, hanging around the hoops, on the phone with brokers, understanding what didn't close and why, um, finding out about pocket listings, off market deals, pocket listed deals, neighbors that'll sell, deals that, deals that didn't close, um, sellers that are wrestling with refi versus sale. Can we, can we get in there and, 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 you know, budge them off their position? So it's kind of more, more fun to be buying right now than it was two years ago. Um, but you know, the, the best markets are the one that the ones that everybody talks about and JP Morgan is moving their back office there and Toyota's moving their back office there. And, you know, I mean, people don't want to pay 48% taxes in California and live in a, a place with no law and order. It's just reality. And the weather's great. Weather's great in California. Um, lifestyle's pretty good, but you know, it's, there's some things that are less good. So, you know, I'm a believer in, in policies. I'm a believer in law and order. And, um, you know, Carolinas are good. Texas is good. Florida's good. Um, you know, it's kind of how I think about it. Yeah. It's a, you know, a, a nugget that I'm taking away from, from that statement is just, you mentioned, oh, people are paying $40 for a haircut. Like that is, you know, normally when I think about rent growth or as I've heard people talk about rent growth, they look at the stats and the numbers and it's like, there is, there is one aspect to, you know, looking at the data and the trends and going to Fred uh, is it.com or .org where, where you can like find all the, the national statistics, uh, but really digging into that nuance of like, how are people spending those mo their money in, in those areas? That that's a nugget I'm going to take away. I thank you for that one. Of um, course. Taking a, a step in this direction, I'd like to talk about, uh, your fund that I'm looking at, uh, investing into, right? So I, I want the audience to, to kind of, understand the avenue that I'm coming at this from and and to help them learn how I'm evaluating funds. A question I'd have for you here is, so you have an incredible track record. You have 33% IRR exited across six deals, if I remember correctly. Are those stats right? That's right. You're good. Okay. So, uh, so here's the initial thought, right? When you're an invest, when you're, if you're new to this game, uh, you see these big returns by firms like yours. Uh, and the first question is, okay. Um, initial thought might be, if you're new, oh, 
they've crushed it. They haven't lost investor money. Like I should go with them. And, and maybe that's true. Uh, but now there's the way I like to think about it is in the last decade, we had the lowest interest rates of all time and like record inflation, which uh, allowed tons of people to like what I like to say is that everyone was able to like do a deal and they were saved by rising asset prices. Uh, and I'm, I'm absolutely not discounting the 33%. I think that's incredible. What I want to know is how can someone like us uh, evaluate you versus maybe another firm that has a similar out, like return profile, you know, knocked a couple deals out of the park, knowing that the next decade is probably not going to be like the last decade. How would you advise us to uh to like really figure in look at the risks like due diligence on on people like you and and the deals that you do okay well let me just say that part of that 33 percent is everything you talked about i think we got lucky we had a friendly market environment so it's not because we're so great but we did buy value and and we did try to sell everything that we could in late 21 while the prices were high and the window was open so part of that is that Wall Street experience of cycles and, and um, recurring patterns. Um, again, we made some mistakes and didn't sell everything we could. We bought we bought one asset at, at sort of high prices, and and so you know we've we've made some mistakes, um, and we're trying to grow from that and and be better. I think when you are looking for people to invest with, you should obviously look at their track record. You should look at their integrity their honesty? Are they willing to admit their mistakes? Are they willing to be real people and explain to you where they could have done better, where possibly their their shortcomings are? Obviously, we want to look at, at firms that have an extensive team. So we're now eight people at the corporate level at, at Avid Realty Partners. Because uh, if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, I want my investors to know that there's a succession plan, you know, a lot of experience and expertise on on the firm at the firm. And I, of course, have tried to hire people that are better, smarter and more experienced than me. I think we've done a pretty good job of doing that. Um, you want to look at things like uh, fee structure is kind of important, right? It, are they taking uh, a 50-50 split over a six or is it... Uh, 80-20 split over a nine. Well, that's a big difference in how much individual LPs get paid. Um, you know, team, track record, integrity, scale of the organization, deal structure, and economics. Um, I'd say those are those are some of the things that would be important to me when I look at investing my money. Obviously, how how viable is the business plan? How much value or, or, or non-value is the asset that we're buying. Those are some of the things that would be important to me. How about you? Yeah. I mean, to be honest, uh, you know, I, I look at a lot of the same things right now. You know, I think first and foremost, my, my priority is keeping the money safe, right? Like you can, that money that you invest, if you lose it is, is really hard to gain back depending on who you are. Uh, and, so to me, safety first and then return second. And so f the way I've approached this is who, who are the people who are institutions who have like 
you know, they've already kind of gone through the growth phase of, uh, of building their company. You know, they probably have defined SOPs in place. Um, and, you know, if, if you're trying to grow from 10 to 100 million in assets under management, like those are huge. That's a huge change in, um, in personnel. And then, you know, from, from 100 to, to a billion. Do, do the investors have an, a track record for the, the exact strategy that I'm investing into, you know? Uh, so like if, if I'm in, I'm looking at a multifamily deal in Texas, like I want to know that whoever's doing that deal has done five other deals like it in Texas that have all gone well. Right. Uh, and, and to me, you know, it's not a predictor of future success, but it, to me, I'm looking for the consistency. And so, you know, it's interesting uh, now as I, I talk to other uh, fund managers like you, it's it's easy to like them. Uh, it's easy to like you, you know. Uh, it's easy, you know, there are things that I resonate with. Uh, and I think every investor has different things they resonate with each fund manager with. You know, I'm a more analytical type uh, investor. And so, you know, listening to you speak about, you know, where interest rates are and how that affects different things. And, and I am personally drawn to a fund manager like you. But I think that there's also, you know, the, the people who aren't as analytical and they're more touchy feely or, or maybe they don't care about the analytical stuff as much. And, and what they care about is, am I working with a fund manager that, will coddle me or, you know, that I just, you know, I resonate with it's, it, it's, it's definitely a people sport, just like anything in life, right? It's like, um, if I'm investing with you, uh, you are, quote, unquote, I'm hiring you onto my team. And as an entrepreneur in life, as everyone is, um, their job is to find the best people to put onto their team. And a lot of that is, is figuring out who you resonate with and why. And um, I would say that was, that was my long-winded answer to that one. Do you have any thoughts on that one? I love your perspective and your experience. And, and you know, um, obviously investing with a lot of different people gives you a lot of different insight. And obviously you host a lot of really smart people on your, on your podcast. So I, I want to listen to you more. <laughs> yeah, I just need to start doing the solo episodes. Um, yeah, it's it's hard to find the nuggets for me that I think people will resonate with. But these these conversations are are what really bring them well, out. Well, one thing I wanted to add is I am very analytical, and when I was, you know, five years ago or or a little younger, earlier in in the corporate life cycle, we missed a lot of great opportunities because I was too strict on the numbers and living living in my red lines and I've had to sort of soften around the edges or maybe look at the probabilities that my rent forecast is too low or too high or the probabilities that my exit cap rate assumption is too low or too high. Those are the two numbers and assumptions that move the model the most. Um, and so I, I missed a lot of opportunities by being, um, you know, too strictly analytical, too, too, um, you know, too, unwilling to go outside the line and um, you know, some of those touchy feely guys that say, Oh, I love this location, beautiful asset, great location. Doesn't matter the price. Um, some of those guys, you know, did better um, in 16, 17, 18, 19, all the way up until they didn't do better in, in, you know, 21 and 22. Um, but uh, you know, you got to learn from, from your past and being, 
overly analytical, overly reliant on any one tool or strategy is also, you know, not good and something I've had to sort of loosen up a little bit with. I would love to kind of wrap with this uh, this question to you, and I'm going to use my my customer avatar as an example to, to try and sh- help shape your answer. Uh, so the the question is, who should be working with you? Uh, like, what problem are you solving for your customer? And and I'll I'll say um, I'll say mine to shape the answer, which is so I'm focused on uh, helping people provide get consistent monthly passive income from private investment. So like I'm only looking for things that um, have great track records that deliver monthly income and and are cash flow focused. Uh, and I'm focusing on, you know, re- mostly retirees and, and people that are younger that that want to get some additional passive income on the side. Uh, and those are the type of people that are a good fit for for my firm and my deals and not people who want massive returns or something that's like crypto or, you know, it's, that's not what you would go to me for. What would someone go to you for? What what problem are you helping them solve? Are you helping them grow their equity or you get, yeah. We're pretty much in the same business as you. Um, but I, I would say I have two customers. Um, one, institutional investors that want to deploy 15 to $40 million at a time. And secondly, individual high net worth guys that might want to deploy 100,000 at a time, you know, or 200 or 500. Um, but you know, we, we work with both of them at the same time and I do invest personally in every deal, but I'm not investing 10% of the equity in every deal personally. And so we do work with individual investors and institutional investors oftentimes in the same deal, but, um, we're, we're providing investors the opportunity to, um, 2x their money over five years, hopefully reliably and safely, uh, with some ongoing cash flow along the way, maybe. 5% a year right now is typical in this elevated interest rate environment um, with most of your money back when we sell at the end of the you know three to seven year holding period um, where this income is tax advantaged and you get write-offs along the way and a capital gain at, at the end of the project. And so we're not just providing you a, you know 12 to 17% net return, but it's tax favored. Um, which I think ends up comparing very well versus equity returns that are less favorably taxed. But um, the point is reliable um, uh, income and gains, safe, and everything delivered to you on a silver platter wrapped in a pretty red bow. So you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to track your stock movements going up and down every day and making you crazy that way. You can just check in once or twice a year. We send quarterly updates. But, um, you know, check in once or twice a year and know that, you know, our team is hard at work um, uh, making your money work for you and delivering for you. And you don't have to worry about it. Our whole team worries about it on a daily basis. So you don't have to. I love that. I love that. It was a good pitch. I like that. Give me, um, Craig, this was uh, awesome. Where can people uh, learn more about you? Awesome. And thank you so much for having me. You're a really good interviewer. You ask great questions. If anyone wants to reach out, you can find me, Craig, at avidrealtypartners.com. You can go to our website, avidrealtypartners.com. You can connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, always happy to make new uh, relationships and, and meet new awesome people. And, um, you know, it's hard out there. So let's connect and hopefully we'll, we'll make it a little easier.
Oh yeah. Thank you so much for joining us, Craig. Thank you. All right. Now I have some final thoughts for our listeners. There are over 350 of you who are already on our email list. But if you aren't already, if you'd like access to our database of private investment opportunities that we see every week and get a first look at the opportunities that we put together here at Grow Your Cashflow, you can join our investment club at growyourcashflow.io. Now, if you found this particular episode helpful, don't forget to share it with that friend that might benefit. Uh, And lastly, if you have any questions or suggestions or just love the particular show, reach out to me on Twitter at Pascal Wagner, number one. Thanks, guys. uh, And I will see you on the next show.